Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Watford Buzz Podcast, the show where we talk about the mighty gunners. Just kidding, Watford FC, obviously. Coming up on the show, we'll be chatting to Omar from Nat Millwood Pod to find out more about the Lions. But first, once again, I'm delighted to be joined by the dynamic duo, the Cape Crusaders, flying the Watford flag heights, Tom Burdell and Jordan Weimer. How are you doing, guys? I've never described as a part of a dynamic duo before, but yeah, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Tom? Likewise, but yeah, wow, what, a, what an intro you've clearly been storing that. I wasn't expecting that, I have to say. I had a few minutes this morning <laughs> to uh, to write out the, the out the intro, and I thought, oh, let's go have a, a Batman theme, you know, Batman and Robin. They're, they're our heroes, they're coming here to, to tell us all about Watford. Which one's which, though? That's, that's I'll, I'll leave you two to decide which one. And what does that make you? Uh, I'm like uh, Gordon, you know, Commissioner oh, Gordon. Oh, yeah, yeah Commissioner Gordon. All Commissioner right, Gordon. <laughs> The commissioner. Okay, I like it. Oh, man. Okay, well, let's get into it. Well, I mean, winning away is easy, guys, isn't it? I don't know why they haven't uh, done this more often this season. It's uh, okay. To be fair, to be fair, the the first half was was quite poor. It was quite poor. And um, and conveniently, um, we we need to talk about the first half uh, because we've had a few questions in uh, one from Danny. And uh, and this one I'm going to give to you, Jordan. He says that the first half was poor, and he he was wondering if the setup had anything to do with it. I think the point Danny is trying to make is perhaps um, a fourth through three might have been the way to go with with the fact that cleverly Chalabar and Hughes were all starting together. Yeah, I mean, I think it did have it did play a part. I also got another question actually sent into a DM, which is along with similar lines and and asking as well if that was perhaps a tactic that we that we start slow. So I try and cover both at the same time. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a tactic. I think we're not. I think our style of play doesn't necessarily lend us to being that kind of fast starting team. Um, we're not particularly aggressive at the beginning of the games, and I think that's. I think that's maybe something you'll see a little bit more away from home. Um, but I, I do think the system that we're playing in, and the the person on the pitch, and the team we're playing against, I think it all kind of equates to being a, a game that's going to start a little bit slowly. Um, we were quite happy to play reasonably reasonably direct and Stoke were in pretty good defensive shape so I think naturally things aren't going to be that open until later stages of the game but it, it wasn't it wasn't great the first half was pretty pretty dry to watch but ultimately we got we got the main the the, the best part of our play in that second half and if we can keep doing that then that's that's okay especially away from home because we've we've struggled to to actually get away from them early starts and struggle to kind of open up and be a little bit more expansive. But I thought we did a decent job of doing that later on in the game. Tom, uh, Harry Rolls on Twitter said it reminded him of the, of the early noughties England team, uh, you know, a four-man midfield with three centre midfields. Uh, I think it was Scholes, Gerrard and um, Lampard, was it, I think? Probably Lampard, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that Watford players are, 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 are have the same quality as, as those guys, but uh, I, I know what I know what you're saying. Well, there's two England internationals in our midfield, isn't there? Tom Cleverley and Nathaniel. That's Chalabon. a good point. That's um, a good point. Yeah, it was a surprise, wasn't it? And, and when I saw the the lineup graphic, I assumed it was going to be a four three three because, and I've said this, I've sort of posited this theory on Twitter before that I think quite often the club don't they don't do it in squad number order, do they? They do it in vaguely what it's going to be and the most sensible way to dissect that I thought at the time was 4-3-3 cleverly Chalabar Hughes and then Saar and Joao Pedro flanking Troy Deeney uh, obviously it wasn't that it, it was Tom Cleverly out on the right which uh, you know 10 years ago when he was here on loan the first time we'd have got away with but uh, 
it just he's neat and tidy you know what you can get with him and what you know we've talked you know we've kind of extolled his virtues in the past as being really hard working and fairly tidy on the ball if not particularly progressive but it was it didn't work and I don't think it was a coincidence that when they moved uh, Ishmael Assar out to the right we suddenly started to create considerably more threat and it was obviously from there that he he scored his ultimately match-winning goal. So it was interesting. I'd love to. It's the sort of occasion where I'd love to be able to ask Chisco, you know, precisely what his his thinking was on that decision because it was it was certainly out of left field. I think you've got a couple of options there, really, in, in regards to that question. Because on the one hand, you could be looking at it as what well, at first kind of how I thought after after initially initially was clear it wasn't a, an out and out four three three. I thought maybe. Maybe you'd be seeing a uh, a change in shape when you're off the ball, maybe a 4-3-3 off the ball and then mm. kind of adjust into that 4-4-2 on the ball and just try and give you a little bit of um, a little bit of extra defensive um, solidity there. Having the extra number of midfield and Tom Cleverley can kind of occupy that that right area of the centre midfield, which he's done quite a lot when he when he's playing from, there, from the start in the central area. Um, also, it could have been an idea that you're maybe playing a bit of a lopsided formation that you're not really trying to attack down that right as a main avenue. You kind of, Maybe there's something you saw beforehand, or something you saw in in Stoke beforehand that made him think that 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 left hand side of the pitch is a weakness for Stoke, and that was something we could exploit. And he allocated more assets there. But it was it was interesting because you'd expect if Senna was to be dropped, you'd expect to have seen Zinchenko in from the start. So it's it's an interesting decision. Um, well, that, that's that's what I wanted to to bring up. And actually, um, Andrew Reynolds has also mentioned this. Why why did Zinchenko not not start? And clearly. You know this field. It, it felt like that this was his his opportunity, his chance to sort of come in and, and maybe even, you know, maybe play in his own in the position that he that he played best in. Yeah, it seemed like a perfect opportunity, especially when you saw, uh, especially when you saw Saar begin or starting the game from the left hand side. It, it it seems very strange, but I think I think generally when when you see something that sticks out that much, there's generally a, a reason to it. Um, it's possible that it's tactical. It's possible that it's it's one of the things we we just mentioned just now. Um, and there's a reason that he wanted cleverly in there, but it's also possible that, that he's he's got a fitness issue that we're not aware of, um, and medical staff will will tell the coach what what number of minutes they think the player is capable of playing. I know you can argue that if he's not fit enough to be, to be on the pitch, he shouldn't be on the bench, but you know it, it's it's part of the the way they have to manage players and. Obviously, there's varying ways in how they do that, but if they if they put down Zinchenko as you know being available for half a game, then you don't want to risk starting him. So it could be that he's played a lot of football beforehand. I think we mentioned in the last podcast that his season he's played a full season and then joined us. So it's possible that's playing a part. Um, but it, it was frustrating not to see him play because I think we're all kind of we're all ready for that. And I think even though he wasn't directly involved, I, I think he him coming on changed the complexion of the game quite quickly. Um, I think even just the threat of his movement made a bit of a difference and things look better. So the quicker that we can get him involved from the beginning, I think it's only going to only gonna help our situation. Tom, what were you thinking at half-time? <laughs> if I wasn't going to be on this podcast today, I might have seriously considered not paying any attention to the second half. <laughs> um, it was just... It was wretched, wasn't it? And it's it's one of those where you you almost feel like saying, do you know, if we lose trying something different or if we lose, you know, by being kind of gung-ho and just, and just you know, going for it and potentially leaving ourselves open at the back, then so be it. But we just, you know, we had so little of the ball. And when they, they flashed up partway through the first half, a, a possession graphic that said we'd had 36% of the ball, I was, I was stunned. I, I couldn't believe it at that stage. We it just felt like every time we got it, we lost it virtually immediately, you know, and it, and everyone was culpable in that. I don't think there was anyone that was kind of, um, you know, could got off the hook. But, you know, we were so deep. We were just getting uh, overrun constantly. And it was, it was oh, yeah, thoroughly uninspiring. So credit to Cisco, Cisco and, and I suppose the players as well, because they did evidently, you know, get a foothold in the game after halftime. I think halftime probably came at a good time in that respect and uh, it, it was much improved I, I tweeted afterwards partly tongue-in-cheek but you know good result given we played for 10 minutes out of 96 it might have been slightly more than that <laughs> but you know broadly speaking it, it wasn't you know most of the game we were very very poor I thought mm. 
they 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 had a good first half Stoke, but um, they didn't thankfully make the uh, the opening. Klukas probably came the closest, and I was pretty impressed with him actually. Yeah, I think he's he's a decent player. He's um the probably the last. I mean, I remember the game we had against Hull when he was playing playing left back against Northern Amrabat, and he got. He got torn apart for 90 before Amrabat's best display for us. And that kind of always <laughs> sticks in my mind when I see Klukas. But he's quite a versatile player. I thought he had a good game. I think Stoke in general, that first half, it was quite, I think it was quite difficult for us to get control of the, of the game in that half because they, they were quite comfortable uh, off the ball and they made thing they made the space very, very difficult for us to play in. And they kind of really, they, they did a good job, I thought, of, of making the game making the game that way. I don't think they, they did a particularly good job themselves of being an attacking threat. They kind of struggled to get into our half and get anything going too. So yeah, we kind of a bit of a stalemate in that in that first half. But um I'd say they probably would have been the happier of the two. Um yeah, coming out which, of that which first is weird 45. because the, the the commentary team said that uh, it would be the other way around. But uh, I I I'd have thought personally it was uh yeah Stoke that would have would have been the happier happier guys going in but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think they, it felt like they were, even though both teams were playing in that manner and it was it was relatively poor. I think they were the ones that were dictating it to be that way. So, if if it's coming off the back of what they're doing, I think actually they're going to feel a little bit more positive because I think ultimately their their idea was to neutralize our threat, and they definitely did do that. We weren't a threat in the first half, and mm-hmm. whilst they weren't either, I think they probably had a fair bit of confidence that if things had stayed nil nil, they could have started to force some chances as, as the game went on, and they probably would have done had we not had the uh, had the penalty shout. Mm. The second half then, uh, it was a revelation, wasn't it, compared to the first half? And, and when Troy Dinney was asked after the, the game what it was that, that he thought changed, he said it was, you know, it was just the mindset. Uh, was it just the mindset, guys, or do you think there was anything else to it? Uh, Tom? I think it's hard to say, and I'm not the, the particularly analytical brain out of the two of us, uh, so Jordan's going to be able to give a far better answer. But I, I just felt like we we kept the ball far better for a start and we were able to, by hook or by crook, we were able to play in areas that create chances. Because in the first half, we just, we created nothing. And apart from the, the Chalabar shot, wasn't it? That got yeah. pushed over. Yeah. Um, but we, we, you know, we actually got in there, you know, I didn't know what colour their keeper was wearing until about 20 minutes in. You know, the camera hadn't even been on it. But in the second half, we were actually playing in areas that led us to creating some some chances so yeah and it was it was pretty much an improvement I think straight virtually straight after the break wasn't it so I suspect there was just an element of being given a bit of a reminder of their you know the, the plan and, and a bit of a kick up the backside at half time yeah I think we, we looked a bit more I think we looked a bit more a bit more aggressive we took a few more risks in midfield with the ball then we gave Will Hughes a little bit more freedom to, to try and look forward and I thought Chalabas started moving further up the pitch and he actually got into some decent areas to receive the ball and we just looked a little bit more positive and then I think you, you had the up in tempo with that had a, had a little bit of luck with how things fell on a couple of occasions and it just kind of changes the the momentum of the game and then obviously the penalty shout I think that's really where everything changed for us um, I think once once Stoke go behind I think their game plan is is you know has to has to change it wasn't it's not their I mean that's no one's plan to go behind but it doesn't suit the system they were running so then naturally things uh, open up a little bit more and it definitely suited us as you'd expect um, so I, I think we did a decent job of, of changing the changing the the manner in which we were we were playing and and affecting the game in a positive way because it's it was quite a difficult one to get out of and I think in a lot of in a lot of seasons, especially you know you can you can look at this season and look at how we were playing under Ivic. I think this is a game we really would have struggled to yeah. to to adapt to mid game. I think that's that's something we've seen during our away games, and there is an element of the fact that regardless of how we're actually playing and how we've been performing, we are still viewed as a as a top team in the league and we ha- we've got a, we're offensive talent and I think you could definitely be teams could definitely be guilty of looking at the lineup and thinking we'd maybe be a little bit more potent than we have been. Um so I think naturally when teams are sitting back and they're willing to 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 be a little bit more defensive, even though we didn't have much possession, they were still willing to be quite direct and, and defensive. I think it we've we've had a lot of struggles at, at breaking that. And we found a different way of doing it last night. And it wasn't the cleanest. It wasn't the, the prettiest. It wasn't the most offensively fluid, but it was enough to just to change the, the, the style of the game. And I think once, as I said, that penalty happened, it, it gave us the opportunity to open up even more. 
Let's talk about that penalty then. Uh, a beautiful ball from Troy Deeney initially, and, and Saar took it down really nicely on his chest. And at that point, you thought, Saar probably should score here, but um, keeper did very well, came out quickly. Uh, but then a nice little bit of trickery from from Pedro to get ahead of the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper probably didn't really need to bring Pedro down at that point, but he did. And, and we got the penalty. And then obviously, uh, the, the big number nine, Troy Deeney, stood up and, and did what he does and, and stuck it away. For me, I think... Probably, um, uh, you can come back at me if you want, but I, I think that was probably Troy Deeney's best game this season. Um, it, but best complete game anyway, because mm. we saw a lot from him in terms of not only doing what he does in terms of, you know, putting the penalties away when he gets them, but, um, you know, his creativity was was something that I haven't seen a lot this season. And, and it, you know, basically was provider for, for both the penalty that eventually got given and then the the second goal again later on. Now, Tom, you said uh, in the in the WhatsApp group that we have that something interesting. You said something like um, he's he's becoming less of a number nine now and more of an important number ten for us. Mm. To expand on that, yeah, it's I'm the you know I've I've, I've always I've, I've put my hands up to this. I'm always the first to batter Troy Deeney because I I think his best days are behind him and I think he's holding us back. And as we talked about on a pod quite a while ago now that. You know, that that statement from Scott Duxbury, I thought was really ill-advised and just underlined a problem, you know, the fact that there was a problem that um, that we all thought there was in terms of how much power Troy holds. But I'm not, I'm, I'm big enough and ugly enough to admit when I'm wrong and, or, you know, when, uh, when something doesn't align with my opinion, maybe rather than wrong. Uh, and, and I thought he was, he was really quite good yesterday. Uh, we've, I think we've seen this version of Troy before when he's played in a two I've said before the 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 15 16 season when we got promoted under uh sorry when we were first promoted under Kike uh and he played up front with Odin Nagalo he was the one that tended to sort of drop deep and try and, and link midfield and attack and it was Igalo who pushed on and and you know got on the end of things and it that worked, worked really well and they had a great understanding uh and then after that point you know obviously Igalo's form tailed off he left and Deeney virtually from that point onwards, I think, played on his own uh, almost exclusively. A few games with Andre Gray, but, you know, not really very many. Yesterday looked like a return to the best of that. Um, you know, the the assist was obviously excellent for Ishmael Saar's goal. He could have had another one had Saar stuck that chance away. And then about seven minutes after providing the assist, from quite a deep position in his own half, he tried to, you know, slide one down the line for Saar to get away from the mid-market pace. I mean, I think the second Stoke defender cut that out in that instance. But, you know, it was... He's, I think he's got probably more football intelligence than a lot of players, perhaps. And and, and he realised that that was our, probably one of our better chances was to try and slide Saar in there between um, Reese Norris and Davis and, and the, the left-back and whoever was the left-sided centre-half at that point. And, you know... Uh, I think he's he does hold us back as a target man and as a kind of number nine. I don't think he's got the mobility that he used to have. I don't think he spends enough time in the penalty area, although interestingly this season, and it is a small sample size, he's actually taking slightly more touches in the penalty area per 90 minutes than he was last season. But it, it's a negligible uh, thing. And obviously we're taking, you know, kind of 10 games or so as data against a, a full season. Um, but yeah, and Premier League versus and that's it, and that's it. Different, that's it, exactly. So, you would reasonably assume that that adjustment would be there, but uh, yeah, it's no, it's no um surprise to see him dropping deep and off that sort of left hand side. You know, that is the position he, he does tend to occupy these days a lot of the time. But in the last couple of games, and I, I noticed against Barnsley, there were two or three occasions where. He got it down and tried to either hook one over the top for Andre Gray to get. There was a really nice first time pass actually in that game that he popped over the top for Andre Gray, and I think a more confident striker might have let it bounce once and then hit it. Gray got it down and tried, you know, and it fizzled out. And then there was a couple where he whizzed it out to Saar on the right as well. And I just think you know he he is quite good at, uh, at that sort of side of the game. And if I can just hold your attention for a couple of seconds longer. One, the, the, a couple of stats I pulled this morning. He's now only one behind Ken Semmer for assists this season and second to Semmer and Saar for big chances created so far. They've created seven each, having played far more. 
Uh, he's just behind on five, I think it is. So, you know, he, he's he's evidently playing an important role, um, just maybe deeper than than we've anticipated in the past. And if you were an alien that just landed on this planet and uh, had a rudimentary understanding of football, you go, oh, big number nine kind of leads the line, everyone else plays off him. But that doesn't really work like that, or that's not the most effective way to use him. Mm. He's also getting close to top three all-time Watford goal scorers as well. So, we, you know, every every goal counts uh, for him, I'm sure. He wants to yeah, try and break into that. Uh, Jordan, what, what about you? Do you reckon uh, best performance from Troy Dean this season or, or disagree? Sorry, I'm just kind of stuck on the alien with the rudimentary knowledge of football. <laughs> <and something like. laughs> um, yeah, so, no, I think I think Tom's right. I think, um, I think if you look back at the... The seasons we got the seasons leading up to us getting promoted where he was scoring twenty odd goals a season and he was playing with a strike partner, he was much more of a all round all round striker. He was able to drop deep, he could get forward, he could hold the ball up, but he could also he also had the ability, uh, physical ability and agility and pace and, and strength to get in behind and, and just vary his, his avenue of attack. I think um, when we did get promoted, when he had that that goal scorer next to him, it was it was worth working away of how to how to get a Gallo into goal scoring positions. And Troy dropped deep, and I think that's when he kind of developed his his hybrid for his hybrid position that he plays in somewhat of a almost a false target man if that makes mm. sense he drops into a deep position he's going to pick up the ball and it's not a bad plan because as, as we touched on just before we've started recording he, he likes to occupy that left that left area a little bit deeper he often is going to be there to receive goal kicks and that kind of angled ball from the right center back which is are always going to be a, a focal point of distribution for most teams and he, he, he finds a way of getting into those positions and he's he's a decent technical footballer and he knows he knows how a striker is going to move a lot of the time, and if he has a good connection with that forward, then he he can be in a position to do so. And I think as his as his body's changed over the years, um, I think he's he's purposely changed the way he moves around the pitch in, in terms of kind of leaning into that physical side of his game a little bit more, for better or worse. Joe Pedro had a, had a good game as well. Um, obviously, yeah, the penalty. In fact, he could have probably got two. He was sort of shoved off the ball when he tried to chip it chip it or, or later on going past his man but he was kind of bundled off wasn't he but he uh he managed to get his toe ahead of the goalkeeper and, and earn the penalty and he was he was a, quite sprightly as well he, he in fact he looked he looked good playing alongside Deeney like you said earlier Tom um I think probably it's one of the better performances this season from both strikers at the same time sort of working together almost and and like you say it was it was kind of a little bit of a return to that uh Igalo Deeney partnership in, in some ways but um yeah tell me, what, what did you think about uh Jar Pedro who wants to go um Tom? yeah I thought I thought he was good I didn't think it was necessarily his best game what I like about him what he brings to the attack is I think a bit of variety and certainly compared to the strikers we've had um in recent years you know sort of uh, the kind of the mold of strikers tended to be quite Quite big, I suspect. I'm just trying to desperately check my own kind of check myself here and make sure I'm not missing someone. But quite often, Delafeu's stint up front, you know, aside, we we have tended to kind of have lumps up front. I'm thinking Deeney, obviously the obvious one, but then Akaka is another one who's had a you know had a bit of a go at being uh, being the striker. So it, the fact that he is quite he's quite nimble and he progresses the play with his his dribbling and what have you uh he's you know he's quite happy to kind of go wide and run the channels and 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 do that sort of work as well he just he just brings something a little bit different and I still don't know if we know and Jordan I'd be interested to get your view on this if we know what his best position is because we've we've now seen him as a number nine as a number 10 and out on the left and you know, I'm not. I'm not. Still not clear. And, and and by the way, he's still very, very young. So he's got a lot of learning and development to do. Hopefully, with us. Um, but I'm still not clear on on where I like him most. Yeah, I mean, I think this, I think we're still trying to find that out. I think he's just still developing as a player enough that he's got room in his in his career to to really nail down where his best position is. But I think he can play in any of those front kind of left positions coming in on his. On his on his right foot and and playing in those in those areas, whether that's the left wing or maybe an inside forward or striker, I think he's suited personally to playing with with a 
with a part of their striking partner at this point of his career, I think it it kind of eases him into that position. It allows him a little bit more, a little bit more room to not be in the right position or not quite as sharp in his movement in the box. So I think that's positive for him. But I do think he's improved a lot. I think since he's come back from his injury, I think he's looked he's looked better in that position. I think um, at the beginning of the season when he was playing as a striker, he he scored a couple of goals, but he maybe wasn't quite what you wanted him. He looked a bit uncomfortable playing with Saar, and it didn't quite look like he felt um, like he felt like he was fully aware of his position and what he should be doing but I do think he's got better in that in in that sense and I think last night as I said it wasn't his best game but I, I do think you just see enough positives from his game to to warrant him playing in that position because his movement's quite good he's capable of dropping deep and he, he's actually quite good defensively too I don't think he gets quite enough credit for that I think he comes back pretty well and he, he's happy to drop into them deeper areas he's not he's not a selfish player and he's someone that can find space where other players can't. So that's always useful when you're trying to break down a team like Stoke. So I think he's, um, for me, I'd be looking at playing him as a striker. But I, if we were to switch to a, a system which was just a, a, a solitary forward, then maybe you'd be considering him playing somewhere else or other options. Mm. So Joe Pedro, we're not sure uh, where his best position is yet, but maybe striker. Uh, one that we are pretty confident though is is Saar. He, we, I think, you know, right wing is definitely his position and he showed again today just how good he can be when he gets the balls playing to the right areas and he got a lovely ball from Troy Denny that we spoke about earlier and he, he put it away. He found that precise area of the goal, but probably the only area of the goal where he could have scored from. Um, there was a little bubble on the way to it going in, but um, let's give the credit to Saar. It was a great strike. Um, he broke away and, and you know, he, he managed to give Watford that two-goal ascendancy that ultimately managed to win the game for them. He did. And what, what I will say about this goal, though, is that it did come from a pretty central position for Saar. He was much more central than he normally um, normally plays. So often when Saar's on that right-hand side, he's very much, very much kind of chalk on the boots sort of winger. He, he sticks that, that sideline. And that gives us a space for him to kind of isolate that defender and uh, drag that fullback out and then try and beat his man and put a cross in. But we haven't, something we haven't seen in my opinion, enough of from Saar is driving at the box and having shots. And that that opportunity there was it was a good example of how he can get into those spaces and he can take on his his, his defender and occupy those central defenders. And he's capable of shooting. It was a great shot across goal. He didn't didn't look up. He knew exactly where he was going. He, he had one one target and he hit it perfectly. But to me, that does show that there is there is uh, the possibility of playing him in more central areas, even if you play him from the right. I think having him attack those spaces and, and change our avenue of attack because I think we become quite predictable. And if you're a fullback and you and you know that that your winger is going to attack that space every single time, then it becomes it, no matter how good the player is, it becomes an easier job when you've got that idea. So adding the variety a variety to his um, movement is good, and also it does indicate that he can play in those central positions. And if you if that gives you the freedom to to get Zinchenko on the pitch on the right hand side, then that would be a positive too. Um, but I think we do have to continue um, finding a way to get Sarr into the game and be productive, not just with his assist, but also he's capable of scoring goals, and we, we should be finding ways to do that. Yeah, Tom, what did you think about Sarr? Yeah, I thought it, it was it was a good goal. In fact, probably better than good because, as Jordan said, it was very instinctive. Didn't look to the you know it's the only area he could hit. It, wasn't a great angle to be shooting on and it was probably the the finish of a very experienced striker uh which you know he isn't so I thought, it was, I thought it was an excellent goal and I thought he you know was certainly a threat in the, the the areas that he got into we almost it almost I don't know if this is by design or if this is just opposing teams trying to stop us but it almost feels like we haven't used that uh you know using his pace getting him on the shoulder of the last defender and just trying to put sort of slide rule balls through to him enough this season. Obviously, as I say, it's probably anticipated that we would do that because he's so he is so quick and, you know, he's so quick carrying the ball as well still, uh, you know, not just in his kind of acceleration off the ball. Um, it, he's probably stronger and better at holding people off than he shows sometimes. We talked the other week, didn't we, about, you know, getting a little bit frustrated at him going down to his, I think he has got, He's not a, a tiny guy and he's, you know, he has shown in moments that he is strong enough to hold people off. So I just, I would like to see us use that outlet a little bit more without becoming, you know, dependent on it. Um, but yeah, a, a good performance and hopefully gives him the kind of uh, the platform now to go on and, and get a few more. Absolutely. 
Uh, another good performance for Daniel Backman as well. We spoke about him uh, last show and, and the show before that as well. But I think in this one, he had more saves to uh, to, 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 to to make, basically. And uh, he made them for the most part. I don't think he could have done too much about the Fletcher goal. I mean, it was pretty straight at him. And that was more of a defensive sort of error rather than, than a goalkeeping one. But um, I mean, he made some, some, some decent saves and um, kept us in the game at times. Jordan? Yeah, I mean he he did. He's he's looking very good, and I think we're feeling pretty confident in there in Beckman. Obviously, Ben Foster has been a big player for us, and he's he's made some great saves this season. But I do think that when when you feel as confident as you do in your backup, it's always going to be a good sign. Like, I don't feel too troubled by the fact that Foster's going to be out for a, a few games at least. Um, I think there's every opportunity for Backman now to actually nail down the starting spot, which is, is good to see. I think we need we need that competition for places and, and I think he deserves if he stays in if he stays in the team, he's definitely earned it. Um last night was a good example. He was quite strong in his box. He's really I think he's just a really positive positive goalkeeper. He's aggressive, his his kicking was good. Um there's a couple of occasions it maybe looked like he was going to take too long on the ball, but he, he strikes through it nicely and he he gets it outfield and he's quite pragmatic in how he plays, but He's also he's he's just very as I said aggressive and I think that's good a good trait for a goalkeeper, um, especially one that's still able to be controlled. Um, he's not out of his box in in dangerous situations. He's just I just think he's a good goalkeeper and I think he looks very mature and I'm I'm happy to to keep going with that um, with that position as it is right now. What weaknesses does he have to his game? If we were to compare him directly with Foster, we've said some of the advantages of of, of why Backman. Uh, is better than Foster in some areas, particularly the fact that he's, he can do that kind of sweeper position. But, but where does Ben Foster sort of like a sort of beat? I, I think it's the athleticism. Um, I think Ben Foster has a has a flexibility and an athleticism to him that allows him to to put and and combine that with the actual reactions and and just experience that allows him to kind of pull off these saves. I don't think Backman is capable of, of pulling off some of the individual saves that that Foster is, but Backman's a He's a more he's a well rounded you know a more well rounded goalkeeper in the sense that he's he's kind of better in in a lot of categories in in terms of his kicking, um, his claiming of crosses I think is is superior. And I think he dominates his box better. I don't think Foster's the most aggressive goalkeeper, but Ben Foster's just a great instinct goalkeeper, and I think. There's so many different goalkeeper is not my best position to analyze, but there's so many different areas of goalkeeping. Um, that you have to you have to perfect, and I think Ben has really done a, a excellent job of perfecting the shot stopping, the shot stopping area, which is obviously a vital part of the goalkeeping. Um, but I think when you add those other elements that the backman brings, I think you still can feel pretty comfortable, even though they approach their their job in a different way. They could have a similar output based on how well they do their jobs they're good at, respectively. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on to transfers in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, is there anyone else that you wanted to highlight from yesterday that uh, you felt deserves a mention, either of you? Um, I think I will mention Chalibur again. I don't think he was outstanding, but I've seen the last few games, I think I've seen some improvements in how he's been playing and getting into some more, some further forward uh, positions in the pitch. And his, his passing has been a little bit more positive. Um, he's looked a little bit more comfortable. He's playing a little bit. Um, he's playing a little bit lighter. He's, he's moving around the pitch in a, a little bit more of a fluid way. I think that's something we've seen from from Chad a lot this season. He kind of stuck to that defensive position and played within himself quite a lot. But he seems to be playing with a little bit more, a little bit more freedom. Um, it's difficult to know whether that's through coaching or through you know just overcoming some barriers he was facing himself or not. But either way, I think he's looking better. Um, it's still not exactly what we kind of would hope we could see from him. I think he's still got room to be better. We've seen better from him in the past, but I thought that we've seen some incremental improvements of his game, which has been positive because we all kind of want him to succeed. And I think it's uh, it's something that's still attainable, but we need to see something soon. And I think we are starting to see some early signs of improvement from him. Tom, anyone from you? I was just trying to think. I wonder, I would maybe just highlight Cyrilti. Um I don't know if it was his best game, for us so far that there were a few instances where he sort of got sucked into doing things that maybe he shouldn't you know there was one instance quite early on where he got sort of sucked into a, a stupid challenge quite a way up the field and he wasn't bad by any means but I just you know I just wonder if we saw a little bit more of the kind of weaknesses in his 
perform in in, in his abilities yesterday for the first okay. time. That um, that challenge where he got rolled is exactly um, exactly what I was concerned about when we when he signed. And we exactly. discussed that previously. That that he had a tendency he had a tendency to to be aggressive and, and get forward and get into the get into his striker, get into his opponent. And he's not the best. He's not the best athlete. He's quite a, he's quite a, he's quite a stiff player and. That is, he's very susceptible to that. So I think it's a risk in playing aggressive. I think he has to play within himself a little bit more, play a little bit more conservatively. Um, I understand why he made that, but I, I just think that he's going to lose them, them ones more often than not. And even if he doesn't necessarily lose it, he's going to give away the foul. So yeah, I think you're right in pointing that out. That was probably, that was probably the, probably the worst. I mean, I know he had the header towards goal last week, but that's kind of the, the only real bad thing he's done Yeah. Um, since playing. He, his possession was still pretty good, but yeah, no, I do think you're right pointing that out. That is something to watch as Syriata and something that he's kind of got to try and avoid as much as possible. In that first game he played, he was slipping and sliding all over the place, but that could have been down to the uh, the grass as well. Or maybe, or maybe yeah, the he was all over the place. As I say, he's not, he's not the best, he's not the best athlete. He's, he's, a, he's a really good, same for defender, but he's not, He's not the most comfortable in space, so I think you have to kind of you have to kind of limit where he's where he's going to be involved. And I think if you can keep him around that edge of the box in the box and and keep things suited towards him, then you're going to get a way better um, output from him. Good stuff, guys. That's Stoke uh, done and dusted with. Then a nice six points from both of those fixtures. Lovely, jubbly. Um, right, uh, let's move on to transfers then. And uh, Watford have been linked with two more names. Firstly, Adam Leventhal reported earlier, and it's been reported by a few others as well, that James Lee Siliki could potentially uh, be coming in on loan on a six-month deal from Wren. Uh, and Defrey Robinson on Twitter has also asked us to chat about this one as well. By the way, fantastic name. Uh, love that, Defrey Robinson. <laughs> brilliant. Um, also, I like the name James Lee Siliki as well. I can imagine people were trying to tr- use the word Siliki and trying to change it into s- s- silky or or. or or skilly or something like that to try and emphasize the the skills but he's a he's a central midfielder um what do we know about him jordan yeah so from what i've seen i've looked through i've looked through his numbers uh, from the season his previous seasons and i've gone to watch some footage i still have to watch a little bit more before i've got a, a full on opinion on him um but from what i've seen so far best way to describe him would be a long rangy central midfielder that's happy to carry the ball he likes to carry the ball his passing is maybe a little inconsistent, but he does look forward. He can be quite positive with the ball. Defensively, his output's not massive for a defensive midfielder, but I wouldn't necessarily categorise him as a defensive midfielder. He's kind of more of a, a little bit of a box-to-box or someone that likes to start from deeper positions, but that's not necessarily where you see the best for, uh, of him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's quite quite left-footed. He's quite successful in his, his dribbles, um, but he does see, he does tend to kind of push that left-hand side. That is the area of the pitch he likes to operate in. He's got some some history of playing left midfield. Doesn't look to be his best position. Um, injury history is pretty good, which is always good to see for a, a young midfielder. But I think maybe some of the question marks you have are why he's not been playing. He's, I think he got about 250 minutes this season in Ligue 1. So that's something that's maybe a bit of a concern, but maybe the drop in standard gives him the opportunity to, to play some games. So I think we're, we're looking at, um, we're looking at a player that we've seen some traits that we like. Um, and if, if the deal that's talked about is to be believed, it's a loan to the, with an option to buy, then that's a, it's a good way of doing a due diligence and a player that you might be interested in further down the line who could help us out now. And it's a pretty risk-free situation for us. I wouldn't imagine on the biggest wages. So um, yeah, I think that's probably what we're looking at. Another good thing to, to mention is that uh, of course, you know, one of his probably good friends, Saar, is, is already in the team. And uh, I, I don't know about you, Tom, but um, if I'm thinking about where I'm going to go and play my football, um, if I know that I've got a friend mm. and a, 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 a team already, then I'm a lot more likely to want to go there. And also it might even make my friend uh, feel happier about being there as well. And, and maybe, you know, it would sort of almost convince Saar to, to maybe stay around a bit longer as well. Yeah. Well, let's hope that they're actually mates and that they didn't hate each other when they were there. Um, that or that um, um, Bayern Yang hasn't got into him and told him what a, what a terrible place uh, Watford is and what a terrible club it is because he's he's at Red as well. No, in all seriousness, I think, as Jordan said, it's a, it's a good way of doing a due diligence as a signing. It's, it would be really interesting to know why he has gone from kind of being a regular last season well, regular-ish last season, clocked up kind of 20-odd appearances uh, to this season, hardly playing. Um, 
that's interesting. There doesn't seem to be anything that screams that he's had a bad injury. Well, he was injured. He was injured uh, at the start on... of the um, of the season. I oh, was injured at the start, but then I he got back that. into the know. team, ah. uh, and then he's well, and then he's been sort of shifted out. So out, yeah, yeah, that's it. So it seems that his injuries have been pretty. They're, they're muscular injuries. I think that's... one was an abdominal injury. I think the good thing is, if a player's missing games, if 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 it's not a leg injury, if it's not a lower body injury, then at least you've got that to fall back on mm. that generally that's quite recoverable from. Um, so it is, it is strange. I, as I said, I have to watch a bit more and maybe have to watch a bit more of Ren in general is trying to understand what's keeping him out of the team necessarily. Because, um, yeah, as you say, his minutes the season before were vastly different, weren't they? Mm. So. The only thing I would say is they've got a couple of other quite sort of experienced central midfielders there, haven't they? Clement Grenier and... Stephen and Zonzi for a couple, but I don't, I don't, that's not to say I know anything about Ren and whether they have played or not. But yeah, and, and in terms of the kind of profile of signing we'd like to make, I said this off air, but I think it's worth repeating that this, you know, we have signed a few players out of France now, haven't we? Sort of, you know, fairly young guys. Obviously, one of them that we should have signed was was Pap Gay. And I, I just wonder if this is a bit of a legacy of failing to complete that signing that we're, you know, now in the point, obviously at the time we were a Premier League club and we probably hoped to remain a Premier League club. We've obviously had relegation to contend with since then. But I wonder if this is a problem that has kind of been exacerbated by the fact that we were unable to keep um, him. I must admit, I, I didn't watch much of him. I don't really know a lot about him, but the impression that uh, Jordan's given and, and Twitter gave at the time was that he is probably more of a, a Kapu replacement than anything else. James Lee Salicki, then one to uh, keep our eyes on. Um, the other one that's been mentioned, and it's one that's been sort of talked about before, but it's kind of stepped up a bit. Uh, and I was reading a good article from a friend of the show, Ryan Gray, uh, who's done a good piece of the Watford Observer, about the potential of uh, Matthias Vidra to come in on loan from Burnley. And, you know, it looks like he would like to go out somewhere. Um, but uh, how likely is this one, guys? And um, would you be in favour of it? You would always think that we have got a, a sniff because of his history with the club and his history, you know, with the, the hierarchy here with, with Pozzo and, and so on and so forth. Um, I I always wonder about these ones. I know obviously Ryan's piece has confirmed that there's interest and that's great, but I always wonder with these, you know, people get quite romantic about certain players and, the, you know, Forestieri was another one, wasn't there? It's, kind of every summer, bring him back, bring him out. We haven't got anyone like him, etc. And I I just, you know, is he the player he was a few years ago? It's very hard to tell because he, he's, he's essentially not played at all for Burnley, has he? He had a little stint last season where he was in the team and he scored a few goals. But apart from that, he, he's hardly played. What I would say is he's unlike our other strikers, isn't he? Uh, probably in the sense of he great, you know, probably unparalleled finishing against anyone in our squad. But very quick, get you know, stayed on the shoulder of people and scored a lot of goals by breaking away and, and sliding it away. So I'd, I'd certainly be up for it. I just, I would have thought we're not going to be the only club in for him if Burnley are going to let him go because of his record in this division. Because obviously he he did very well with Derby as well um, a couple of years after leaving us, didn't he? So I'm sure anyone that wants a striker in January, and let's face it, most clubs would improve with a, a proven goal scorer. Um, will be will be trying to get a piece of the action. Mm. No league goals this season, but he has scored in the, in the cups. Um, and obviously, we know him from his time at, at Watford that um, he has he has a goal scoring pedigree. And he, and he, you know, when he's in the mood, he can he can score a bundle. But we are thinking back to a player from you know five years ago. Or, mm. I mean, do you reckon he's still got the the ability to do it in the Championship, Jordan? Yeah, I do. I think he's a. Uh, I think he's one of them players that's kind of stuck in between. He's stuck in between being a championship player, a top end championship player, and a kind of lower end Premier League player. But that's not necessarily down to his ability. I think, I think naturally when you're when you're a striker such as Matic Vidri, you, you thrive on you thrive on chances, you thrive on being in teams that are being creative. And if you're kind of at the level, you're attracting interest in them lower Premier League teams. You're naturally going into an environment where things are maybe a little bit different at a team like Burnley where they're kind of more defensively focused and more direct or you're not in a team that's creating as many chances. So I don't think naturally you can't play your best football. You've seen, you might see similar things with someone like Dwight Gale, for example. Uh, so I think he kind of suffers from 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 that 
I don't think that it's he. I don't think it's the fact that he can't play at the level that we've seen from him before. I think if he came to the championship again, I, I expect him to be productive, um, pretty close to it as, as he was, providing he's had no real you know changes in injury or anything like that. So I think if we were to bring him in, it'd be a positive, providing we use him correctly and we give him the opportunities he needs and play him in the correct way. I think he's better than what we have um, in our squad right now in terms of uh, depth. I think you could be quite comfortable with including him in that front too and, and feel like we're improving the team. He might not start every game, but there are opportunities for him. And I think he would definitely be above someone like uh, Andre Gray or Glenn Murray who looks set to leave in the pecking order. I think the question for us is, does he feel like he wants to go to a team where he is going to have that level of competition with Pedro and, and Dini and Pericho when, when available? Or does he want to go somewhere where he feels he'll be starting? And... On the opposite side, even if we do get rid of Murray or end his loan, are we still are we still feeling that we have to move another player on before we can bring in Vidra? So I do think there's a possibility of it happening. It could be one that we're kind of keeping keeping on the on the periphery and, and trying to trying to keep that one in play until uh, until we figure some other things out with our own squad and where it currently is. Mm. I wonder if it'd be interesting in a move to, to Derby on loan as well. I mean, I know that. They're looking for for a striker as well. So yeah, I guess it, I, I mean it's a, it's a it's a possibility. He's, he's I think he's he's going to be attracted as he said he's going to be attracted to pretty much every team that's looking for a striker and, and what team isn't looking for a striker. So yeah, I think he's going to have plenty of options. Um, I think Bernie, if he's coming if he's coming on loan, then you're looking at a pretty safe financial investment with that too. So I think it's really going to become a case of how interested are we actually and what his preferences are. But there's definitely reason to believe that he'll have an interest in coming back here. Um, he's obviously comfortable with a lot of the environment and he's, there's still a few players around that he knows. And it's it's a deal that we could probably get done quite quickly, yeah, providing he still has the same agent. I'm sure there's the, the, the comfort between the ownership and the agent there to get a deal done suitably and fast. So yeah, I think we could be one of the contenders it just remains to be seen how serious we actually are to act now because another club might be more desperate to to act or in the situation where they can act quicker and that would benefit perhaps Vidra and his representatives okay good stuff uh we've had another question of a transfer related question uh this one comes from es hornet uh and they want to know should we bring in another left back or should we stick with what we have now so i guess this kind of goes back to ivic and how he had been saying he wanted another left back for ages and to be fair to him he didn't have no. a fit messina for the vast majority of his time um we do now have a fitness scene who who looks like he's playing like he like he you know never had an injury at all he looks brilliant but um there isn't really that direct cover for for that left-sided back uh, well, i mean we know that kiko familiar has played there before and, and looks okay when he plays there but um what do you think do we think we should look at bringing in a left back in this window or would it be more something to look at in 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 July? Not a priority for me now i don't think with with messina back kiko's obviously played there a lot as you say you know, uh, Chisco's put uh, Ngakia on over on that side a couple of times as well. You know, we we know full well that it's going to be a kind of one in one out policy, and and we've got to really you know tighten our belt, so to speak. I think I would rather see that money put into a central midfielder or uh, a, a different profile of striker, assuming we can get Glenn Murray out, uh, which you know that seems to be taking a long time, doesn't it, to happen. Um, it's something we're going to have to address in the summer. We can't plough on with one left back and you would reasonably assume that if we don't go up, Kiko will say, well, look, guys, I've done my service, see you later. And then, you know, we're down to two senior fullbacks. But uh, it's not the priority it was, unless we can get someone who's an absolute bargain or move someone out unexpectedly. Yeah, I think I'm going to have a slightly different opinion. I think, um, personally, I think it is a position that, that is required to an extent. I, I think you're right in saying that we look for a, a more permanent fixture or more permanent backup in in the summer. But I, I do think that it is a, a position of need right now. We're quite light in that area. Um, if we were to see, even if we were to see, see an injury, uh, if we had a long-term or relatively long-term injury, say a three-month injury to Kiko Femenia, then our fullback situation looks quite dire. Um, I'd probably, well, I'd definitely be looking at the loan market. I'm not saying we're trying to bring in someone that's better than what we have, but I think just bringing in a body, someone that's adequate, that can that can play there if needed, you can plug and play. Um, not expecting to get too much production out of them, and I'm not expecting us to be in the market for some of the players that we've talked about at left back, such as Pickering. I saw Sheffield Wednesday interested in now after Blackburn's deal seems to have 
fallen away. Um, but I, I do think we need someone. I'd be looking at the loan market and looking for whether it's a youth player or maybe a veteran that's looking for some looking for a change of scenery in some a few minutes. I think bringing someone in would. Uh, would be necessary. It, it would be unfortunate for us to to lose one of our fullbacks, and and that be the thing that we kind of fall down upon. We're trying to whether it's get into the playoffs or push them automatic spots. Um, so I think for a position that we could find something in, I think it's a, an area we should be looking at. Because um, as I say, we're not trying to we're not trying to bring a starter in. We haven't lost Messina yet. We haven't lost for many or Ngakia. It's it's a situation of kind of balancing that squad out so it's it, it's an area we don't have to worry too much about because it is something that could happen and the loan market's a pretty risk-free one for us if we get the right deal there was something that we were looking at recently but uh i've seen that he's, he's signed uh for a different team instead uh i'm thinking of the greek player whose name has completely slipped my memory oh, to Norwich, yes. yeah. well again that's that's yeah. that's looking at a player who's you're signing him as a starter. You're not signing him as a backup. And I think Masner is. We seem comfortable with Masner. And if you're looking at, if you're looking at where you want to allocate your your budget, upgrading your left back isn't a priority by any means. It's just giving us the insurance policy of having someone that can fill in if needed. Um, obviously, as we're saying, Kiko can, but having someone that gives us that depth, you, you want to have two, you want to have two players in, in, in your fullback positions. You just, it's something that's kind of a need. We don't really even have a player that's versatile enough to fill in there. That's kind of playing that position. Maybe you could play Wilmot there, but I don't think we should be looking at that route. So yeah, I mean, Norwich signing is, is different because they are, they are buying a starter and someone for them, it's an intelligent move because it's someone that they can bed in now for a possible promotion. He's he's Premier League ready by the time they get promoted, and it's a good fit for them. But for us, we're we're operating in a different market. Dimitris Janoulis, I believe, is is, is his name. Correct. Uh, on on loan currently from POK, but I believe it was with a, with an option to sign permanently. I think that's. I think yeah. it might, is it an option or is it even an obligation? Is it an obligation. I'm not sure, but yeah, you're. I'm not. I might be. I might be incorrect, but yeah, you're right. Okay. Um. Right. Well, that's it for transfers then. Um. Just moving on now to to the to the next game that's coming up, and that's Millwall. Uh, typically, uh, a hard team to go to and beat on their own turf. But uh, yeah, what, what do we think about this one, Tom? Well, they won last time out, didn't they? From they've been on a bad run, but they did they did win their last game against Huddersfield on on Wednesday. So we shall see. I guess we shall see how they get on over the weekend. Um, that I, I like Gary Rowett as a manager quite quite a bit. I have to admit, and I think you know they're probably. A bit better than their their league position suggests. Their home form is pretty wretched, though they've only won once at home this season, seven draws. So I suspect room for a tight game. Uh, again, you know, without reverting to sort of cliche and what have you, they are quite a quite a physical team. They've got a pretty clearly defined style of play. Seventh for long passes attempted, fourth for long passes completed. They put a lot of crosses into the box. Fourth most in the division completed this season. Um, they seem to get through a lot of lot of defensive work as well, but that's probably more an indication of the fact that they're, uh, you know, not having so much of the ball in games. Uh, the third worst XG in the championship, though. Uh, I think this has got to be, you know, a game that we're expecting to win, particularly um, off the back of uh, getting a, a rare away win against Stoke. So a, a hard afternoon's work, because I, I do think they've got some decent players and obviously Jed Wallace is their top scorer and, you know, Probably someone that should be playing at a, uh, for a club with bigger aspirations, but uh, there's there's no reason why we shouldn't be going there and getting all three points for me. Yeah, I think I think it's also trying to maybe maybe trying to avoid falling into the trap that we fell into against Stoke in, in that first half. I think it's it's quite possible you see something similar um, in their early stages. Um, yeah, I, I think Millwall are a tough one. They've they've got some good individual players, but they do. They do play that quite direct defensive style. They play like quite a solid back five, back three. Um, makes it quite difficult, and it can sometimes it can sometimes minimise the effect of playing a front two and up against three central defenders. You kind of end up matching them up a little bit too easily, and it, it becomes a, a problem. So maybe we'll change our approach a little bit. Um, but again, we will have players to hurt you, as Tom mentioned there Jed Wallace and Troy Parrott on loan they, they could possibly you know get involved in the first team and Ryan Woods in midfield they've got players that can hurt you so you can't take them for granted um, but it's, it's finding a way to break them down I think we've got to be a little bit more creative in, in how we do that so I think I think Wednesday was a 
was a good uh, a good dress rehearsal for that and uh or friday sorry um was a good dress rehearsal for that especially in that first half and perhaps that second half has kind of given us a bit of an idea about how to how to uh, actually neutralize that that defensive shape that the opposition are holding Okay, good stuff. My thanks to Tom and Jordan for joining me once again. You can find those guys on Twitter at Jordan Weimer and at TB Burdell. But don't go anywhere yet because next up I'll be chatting to Omar from That Millwall Pod to find out all about the Lions. Oh, no. Oh, Mitch, you've sliced that one. Oh, oh man, that's just getting embarrassing now. Right, that's it. I'm sorting this out. Hello? Is that Nick Pinnett's Golf Academy? Can you fit me in for a few lessons, please? Oh, terrific. Whew. Yes. Blimey, what a shot. What in the world has happened to your game? If your game could do with some improving, get in touch with Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy, based in Panshanger. Nick is a PGA qualified coach who can analyse your game with the latest technology and coach you to beating your mates in no time. For more details, Google Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy. Right, now let's turn our attention to the visitors. This Tuesday, it's the rearranged fixture away to Millwall. And to chat about the Lions, it's Omar from That Millwall Podcast at That Millwall Pod. Omar, welcome to the show. Millwall, well, they had a great season last year, so merrily missing out on the playoffs. But I imagine this season, expectations were quite high and it's not quite come into fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, thanks for having me on, Matt. It's much appreciated. I mean, yeah, not been too great recently for us. I think we went into the close season, obviously, during the spell we are in, all the clubs affected by COVID. But I think we was kind of expected to kind of kick on and sign some players. We did so with the likes of Troy Parrott on loan. But yeah, so far, it's not really materialised to the season. I think fans hoped. Gary Rara is the, the man in charge at the Den. Talk to us a little bit about that man who's been so successful for you last season. Yeah, I mean... I think he's just finding his feet at the moment for us, which is a, a weird question, a weird answer to say, really, when obviously last season we went so close to the playoffs. But I think it's a testing environment for us, obviously, with no fans at the grounds and stuff like that. I think Rowett is someone that's maybe different to the typical Mill mould, but a young manager that, you know, came in after Harris, a lot of pressure on him to kind of take the mantelpiece from a club legend. But he seems to have got a, a, a little bit of an identity at the moment I mean we're looking to kind of you know trying to take that next step up but ultimately for us I think you know as long as we're competing in the championship and not fearing relegation it's probably quite successful for us yeah absolutely um, so I mean do you have, can you place your finger on any reason why you think it hasn't quite got off to the way you wanted to other than COVID any players in particular or, or formations maybe it's a culmination of a few things, I think. We're um, we're typical, we're used to playing like a five at the back formation, especially away from home, which at times can be seen as, or perceived as quite negative. Like away from home, we get a lot of plaudits. I think in 2020, across Europe, we had one of the best records for clean sheets. So, you know, we're typically hard to beat, as you'd expect from a Millwall side. But I think, you know, we've been unlucky with injuries. I mentioned we signed Troy Parrott. We also signed Ken Sahor. Both of them obviously quite established, well, in Sahor's case, an established championship striker from West Brom. But we've been really unlucky with injuries. So the pair of them both made debuts and got injured. So, yeah, I mean, mm. we rely quite heavily on our main man, Jed Wallace, who obviously kind of, you know, grabs a lot of headlines for us. He's our top goal scorer in the league. And I think he's got the most assists as well. And it's the same last season. But it's just, you know... It, we're looking for it. I think we're maybe heavily reliant on him and trying to, you know, the challenge for us is trying to find other players that can take the burden off him. What system do you expect them to play for Watford? Do you think they'll they'll change anything, or do you think it'll be, you know, as 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 you as you mentioned, five three two? We're a bit of a crossroads at the moment. I think you know we we went through a spell. I think we went eleven without a win in the build up to Christmas. We had two games against Bristol City and uh, Nottingham Forest. We picked up a couple of good results. Obviously a draw at home to Forest. We should have probably won, and obviously a two 0 win over Bristol City. I think for us. We, a lot of Mill fans want to see a change of go back to a four at the back, which is what we did in them two games. Okay. So it, it's hard to say. I mean, I imagine we'll give Watford quite a lot of respects. Obviously, the, the power and obviously the talent you guys have. So. In my gut, it'd probably be a five at the back, but I wouldn't be surprised to see us play a four-two-three-one instead. Okay, okay. Um, you, you mentioned Jed Wallace already. Obviously, he's the key danger man. But um, 
who else should the Hornets be fearing or looking out for in the, in the Millwall side? Um, so we've got a couple of our players that are, you know, relatively championship experience, the likes of Ryan Woods, Mason Bennett, you know, and also we've got Jake Cooper at the back, our centre-half, who's always a threat from set plays. I mean, the key thing for us, I think if Sahor comes back into the side, I think he'll be a real threat up top with the likes of Troy Parrott. So, yeah, we've got a, a bit of competition across places up top at the moment now, which is good to see. But I think for us, the main kind of strength of ours is defence. So hopefully Watford will have a tough day getting past the likes of Jake Cooper and Sean Hutchinson. OK, good stuff. So at the time of recording, we're in the middle of the January transfer window. Do you think the club will look to add? And, and if so, in which positions is the squad needing strengthening? I think probably the centre of the park is top of our priority and also uh, more of an attacking midfielder to create chances. As I mentioned, to take the burden off Wallace, I think we're linked with a couple of players from Scotland at the moment. And also we was linked with Jason Malumbi, who we had last season at uh, Millwall, but he actually unfortunately went to Preston last night at the time of recording. So, yeah, I think we just need a bit of um, a bit more quality in the middle of the park, really, to kind of have more of a control in games. And hopefully that way we can create more chances for the forward line. OK. What have you made of Watford this season? difficult to say really I think I see you guys obviously I think you're in the playoffs at the moment and you've changed your manager already which is no surprise because I think that's perceived <laughs> perception of Watford from a neutral's point of view I mean I do I do keep up with quite a lot of your games and you obviously got I kept done well to keep a few key players there obviously Saar looks like a really good uh, winger and it seems to be doing quite well it's hard I mean I kind of expected you to be at near the top, but maybe instead of Bournemouth or Norwich being at the very top, I might have expected Watford to be there instead. So maybe it makes sense why they've sat their manager. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Is there anyone else you, you, you're looking at who you think could be a danger on, on the day? You mentioned Ismaili Asar there. Yeah, I mean, obviously Troy Deeney is a player that if there was crowds, I'm sure he'd get a bit quite a bit of stick from Millwall when he tends to, <laughs> you know, rise up to that stick. So, I mean, that would have been a, a good sight to see. But yeah, I mean, obviously I, I tune into the Cycling GK on YouTube quite a lot as well and see oh, yeah. Ben Foster. So obviously I'm looking forward to seeing Ben Foster go up against Millwall and obviously get a GoPro angle, I suppose, which is <laughs> be quite cool. But yeah, no, I mean, I know Watford have obviously got great strength across that whole squad, really. Chaloba, obviously, as well. Good pedigree from Chelsea in the past. Maybe Jed Wallace can run up to uh, to Ben's GoPro if he scores. <laughs> I saw Jamal Lowe do that on the weekend, <laughs> I believe, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, Millwall often get a bit of bad press, don't they? Because they're, they're seen as the, the bully boys and, and, and then they're, in, they're featured in films like uh, Green, Green Street alongside West Ham. And it's, um, it's one of those things where sometimes you think, well, is there really anything to it? But then you hear stuff coming out quite recently about uh, racist chants. Uh, or, 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 um, or the not supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. What's your take on that, Omar? And, and um, do you do you think there's bad wood in the in, in the in the mixture of the fans? Or what's your what's your opinion? Give me give me your take on it. I mean, it's not for me to say what fans decide to do. Obviously, with regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, I think a lot of it. Mill's quite an easy target I feel like you mentioned obviously the films and the whole stigma behind Mill and the fear factor I think at times you know it, it could be a minority that makes it look, makes the majority look bad so I mean personally I, I don't prefer to criticise the fans that you know have their views and takes on what happened with the BLM movement I think there's more to it than meets the eye personally but yeah I mean it's one of those things we're used to no one likes us we don't care as we say as a little slogan really and I think with that we've got to kind of take the rough in this move I suppose are there communities within Millwall who are trying to rise up against other members of the fans who, um, who are maybe bringing the team down? No, absolutely. I mean, I think the majority of fans are on side. And, you know, we had after the the events of the, I think it was, I can't remember who we played that day now, I think uh, Derby County, where we booed the knee. We then the club itself do a lot of work in the community. I think, you know, we, we got Family Club of the Year a couple of years ago is like the best place to go to for families across the Football League. Um, we also, you know, we have the Community Trust that's the club fund quite heavily and have a lot of involvement with. And I think as a whole, you know, after that game, we, we've now come up with these banners, the inequality banners. So I don't think it was a, a, clearly a case of just you know, perhaps racism, as people have, you know, alleged to say. But, you know, I think we do a lot in the community that maybe doesn't get highlighted. And obviously sometimes with that, the lowest things get highlighted more. Have you ever uh, witnessed it or experienced it yourself? Or, or is it no. just one of those things that you hear about? I Personally, I haven't, no. OK, cool. Well, it's, 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 that's good to know. And hopefully, um, you know, Millwall and all, and all clubs will, um, you know, look to, to move forward on this and, and, and be able to come out with a positive, positive reaction. Um, before the season, um, I, I expect, well, another run at the playoffs was, was the target. But um, after what's happened so far, do you think that can still be achieved? Or, or would, you, would you take a mid-table finish? How are you feeling at the minute? 
Yeah, I mean, with us, I think we've come close a couple of seasons now. We had um, three, three years ago under Harris, we almost got to the playoffs and we went on a late run, you know, almost as similar to last season. I think, you know, we had, when the opportunity presents itself, we seem to stumble at the last block in the championship, especially. But for us, I think a lot of it is, like I said in the past, just staying up, getting to 50 points and, you know, from there trying to kick on. So I think a lot is said about that for our season, really. So once we get to that point, then we kind of assess where we are afterwards. Obviously, from last season, the aspirations to this season was to try and kick on. But I think ultimately, you know, in the division where you've got the likes of Watford coming down, Bournemouth, Norwich, with all the money they have spent in the Premier League, it's ultimately a tough playing field. Yeah. Um, Mill currently um, with 20 goals against. That's not bad records, really. I mean, if you if you look at Norwich City, they've only got 20 goals against as well. I mean, a credit really has to be given to, to the goalkeeper. Yeah, we got uh, Bart Bielkowski in goal, who um, was previously at Ipswich for three or four years, one player of the year there. He signed for us last season and again, one player of the season voted by the fans. I think all the defence do their bit. I mentioned obviously the five at the back that we tend to play and it made us difficult to beat. And unfortunately for us, when we do lose, we seem to lose quite, you know, quite heavily. But I think, you know, if you you do well, if you manage to score three or four past us really without us having a say in the game. Yeah. And you just need to really improve those those goal figures and... and um... You know, you could be climbing up the league. I mean, you've had a, a few gamers ruled out because of because of COVID-19. Has that had a, a big impact on you, particularly recently? I didn't expect it to do so, but I think it did after the weekend's game. We obviously had our game postponed and obviously the Watford, uh, Bournemouth game on Boxing Day. I think it was going to be quite a difficult round of fixtures anyway. But yeah, I think, you know, we picked up a couple of good results, had two games postponed. Eight players were hit by COVID in the first team squad, five of which played on Saturday and started the game. And the kind of underlying tone whilst the game was on was we just looked a bit flat-footed and obviously we, hard to say the full effects of COVID but I think the whole team had to isolate for 10 days and didn't have a full build-up to the game on the weekend and whilst it might have been looked at as a positive at the time to have some time off and go again and kind of reassess in the new year I think ultimately that run of games and not having that might have been detrimental towards us. Okay, I'm a final question for you and uh, it's one I always uh, give to, to my guests. It's uh, It's one that People don't generally like either. What's the uh, what's your score prediction for the game? I'll probably take a nil-nil from honestly at this time of, <laughs> time of saying it. Uh, yeah, I think for us, you know, we, it depends what kind of side we can put out, but I imagine we'll be looking to absorb a lot of pressure from you guys and try and take a, a point. I mean, I'll go with a 1-1, a 1-1 draw. Okay, good stuff. Well, that's Omar Remain there from the Millwall Podcast, and you can find them at that Millwall Pod on Twitter. Well, thanks to Omar for joining us. That's it for today's episode, but we'll be back again after the Millwall game to dissect that one and also build up to the Queen's Park Rangers match. Until then, keep sharing the pod, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.